Have any of you ever let something slip out of your mouth that you wish you could have the last 10 seconds of your life back? Like, have you ever said anything or did anything where you're like, oops, yeah, I wish I could have that back? Where you said, I can't believe I just said that. I know I think it sometimes, but I can't believe I just said what I said out loud. I can't believe I just did that. I, I, I suppose maybe if I was honest with myself, like I, I probably want to do that sometimes, but I can't believe I actually did that thing that I knew wasn't good for me, that I knew I shouldn't be doing. I can't believe I just did that. Where did that come from? Or have you ever had to say this to somebody because of what you said or what you did? Oh my goodness, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't know what came over me. That's not like what? Me. Have you ever been there, done that? I know I have. And maybe for some of you, it feels like you're in a season of life where that may be happening more often than not. Maybe you've always been quick to admit that you uh, have made a mistake. Maybe you're one of those righteous people, like those good people who always admit when you make a mistake. Uh, But recently, maybe it feels like you're making more excuses than you want And so now you're caught in between a rock and a hard place because it feels like it would hurt too much to admit that you have been wrong, but the pain or guilt of continually falling short of living up to your own standards, much less God's standards for your life, is starting to feel like too much to bear. And so now you don't know what to do. Like, do I admit I was wrong? But like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) That feels so uncomfortable. But it just weighs on me. Maybe you've always been able to contain your anger, but lately there's an edge in your voice that, like, if you were honest with yourself, uh, maybe scares you. You seem like only to have occasional outbursts in the past, but, you know, now it seems kind of like an automatic response to when anything doesn't go your way. You just find yourself, and, and you find yourself that all these little things are starting to, that now had never got under your skin, get under your skin, and you feel as though you've lost a little bit of control. Maybe you started to notice that it's been really hard to see good things happen to other people without feeling things you know you shouldn't. You know what I mean? Like, maybe you saw your sister wearing those jeans that you know better than to try to fit into. I mean, she looks great, but you aren't about to let her know that she looks great. And why? Why does it bother you? Maybe you know you ought to be happy for Joe on his promotion at work, but for some reason, you can't. You just can't be happy for him. And maybe the truth is your sister or Joe represents that person from your past who who maybe bought something or who won something or was given something that, if you were honest, you wanted it. Like, that's what you wanted And so now you find yourself like automatically resenting others who seem to have the things you want, but you don't have. You don't have to be someone who believes Jesus in the Bible to know that living this way points to a deeper struggle. In fact, modern psychology and philosophy would want to point to things like a lack of self-worth 
as the root of all of our emotional and behavioral dysfunctions, as if, as if being in control of who you are and learning to take care of yourself, respecting yourself, uh, being authentically your true self is the solution to all of our problems. And this kind of living may help if you believe the ultimate goal of our lives is to pursue happiness. The problem is that pursuing happiness looks different for every person, doesn't it? I mean, who will draw a line in the sand when someone's pursuit of happiness becomes the source of someone's suffering? Like, who, who draws that line? And if peace is not a result of everyone pursuing their own happiness, then is what we are pursuing rooted in happiness at all? And so modern psychology, modern thought has all these different things to offer, and they help some, right? They help some, especially if you're really dysfunctional. Like, if your life is really dysfunctional, it, it, it might be helpful to get some boundaries. It, it might be helpful to not so think so negatively. It might be helpful for you once in a while to take a break and not work today. Like, that might help. But at the end of the day, those are just a means, but don't solve the deeper issue. If you take a look at the different ways to try to solve this issue of the way we behave, the way we feel, that doesn't really, like I said, maybe fit even our own standards, much less God's own standards, there's another way to view the struggle. It's a view that suggests that maybe the solution to our auto-response problems, as we're using this title, like the way we respond to things in the everyday of our lives, maybe it's not a direct result of our lack of self-esteem or lack of self-care, but maybe, just maybe, there is an assault, there is, an, there is a battle going on for our hearts. If you're like me, nobody ever told you to keep a close check on your heart. What you have been told uh, is this, hey, watch that attitude, young man. Hey, you. Watch what you say. You can't say that. You can't say that. Or, <clears throat> watch that face. What, wipe that, that thing on your face. Wipe it off your face. No, no RBF here. <laughs> like, wipe that off your face. Which are all just alternate. Can I say that in a message? I don't know, because that's a bad acronym. I totally, we'll, we'll delete that from the podcast, my bad. And these are all just alternate suggestions for how we can create better auto-responses at the end of the day. That's all that they are. The problem is that they don't deal with the deeper struggle that is going on, if we're honest with ourselves, in our hearts. This is because we most naturally believe that being a good person is primarily about fixing our behaviors, fixing our responses, fixing the way we look at you. Stop being so negative. Be half glass full. Don't be so, you know, right? This is, right? I even say this. Like I, it, and, and it's helpful. It's helpful. But it doesn't solve the deeper issue of what's happening to our hearts. We think our job as parents is to help our kids develop these good responses, uh, but we don't teach them how to deal with issues of their hearts sometimes. And so unfortunately, we have done our kids a terrible disservice when we do this. I've tried the best to help my kids when 
fact, they've grown up and they sometimes they don't like it, but we'll say this thing, like when an attitude is happening, instead of saying, fix the attitude, most of the times we say fix the attitude because we don't have the patience to actually be good parents, but if we actually remember things, we say what? How is your... Okay, Gary is in my family. Thank you, my child. How's your heart? How's your heart? In fact, this is the, this is the line sometimes uh, my wife and I give each other, and sometimes it's purely, it has pure intentions, but sometimes it's, it's kind of snarky. It's not like, how's your heart? <laughs> well, how's your heart? But nonetheless, we try. We try to recognize that ultimately, when we are not who we want to be, much less who God wants us to be, there's usually something wrong, not with the way we're responding, but with our hearts. And there is even a temptation for pastors to believe that their main job is to help people fix their responses. We say things like, church people, welcome to the series on how you respond to your everyday lives. And if you say this, by the way, be careful, God will be mad at you. So you need to say this instead, and then you're going to be good with God. Say these things. Don't say these things. Do these things. Don't do these things. If you do this, you'll tick God off. But if you do it this way, you'll please God. So let's please God. Who wants to please God? You want to please God? I want to please God. So let's do it this way. And we teach at the end Christian behavior. We teach the rules. (laughs) And as we pastors for many years... And for many people, maybe you didn't grow up in that church. Maybe you didn't experience that. Maybe you had a good pastor. But pastors over the years have done a terrible disservice to their congregations. Preachers have failed miserably because Jesus says pleasing God isn't primarily about our responses. Jesus talked to people who had incredible abilities to control their behaviors In fact, they were PhDs in response management, but they were messed up, just like us. In fact, Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples who recorded for us a written account in a portion of Scripture that we call the Gospel of Matthew, he recorded a conversation Jesus had about our response or behavioral management strategies. Before we look at that conversation, I'd love to set up the scene just in case you may not know the context of this conversation. Listen, in Jesus' day, there were some Jews who were obsessed with rules. They were obsessed with rules. In fact, you could even say that they believed that living life with God was all about rules. Catch this. Here, I just have some things that I studied and pulled out for you. Listen, they went through and counted all the rules in the law of Moses. The law of Moses being what? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? The law, right? And they counted these up, and guess what? You know how many laws there was? More. 613 laws. And then there were rules. 613 rules. And then there were negative rules, like things you don't do, but they're not like rules that God said don't do. And there's about 365 of those. And then there were about like 248 positive rules, like, you know, to make sure that there's things that you do do. And These were just the rules in the Old Testament. Then they piled hundreds and then thousands of rules on top of rules and rules and rules and rules, and they just had all these rules. For instance, the Scriptures say, uh, don't work on the Sabbath. Well, uh, but it wasn't enough to simply say that for them. They had to add rules on how far you could walk on the Sabbath. 
and how much weight you can lift on the Sabbath and how many letters you could write on the Sabbath and even where you could spit. <laughs> believe it. Where you, they had laws about where you could spit on the Sabbath. It was really crazy. Now, we know that the Bible talked about cleanliness, but they added all these rules about stuff like washing your hands. They, they told you when to wash your hands, and they were pretty, pretty strict. And for instance, uh, they said this, you wash your hands when you wake up. I, I guess you don't know where your hands have been when you're asleep. I don't know, okay? Uh, you wash your hands before a meal, after a meal, before worship, after you visit the bathroom. That makes a lot of sense, okay? Uh, after you cut your hair or your nails, after you touch some part of your body that is normally covered, and I'm not sure why that part of your body would be dirty if it's naturally covered, but okay, whatever. These are just the rules that I read. I'm not telling you why they thought this. Um, another rule was you wash your hands after you touch the inside of your nose. <laughs> Um, I like that one. That's a good rule. Um, or your ear, if you touch the inside of your ear, or after you touch not your hair, you can touch your hair, but you can't touch your scalp, okay? And I just realized that in light of my decision to embrace this current hairstyle, I'll be having to wash my hands a lot more often than most, okay? Right? Amen, low straighters? All right, here we go. And it, it wasn't just when to wash your hands, there were rules about how to wash your hands and, and what to say. Like, there's certain things you had to say when you washed your hands, and these guys were out of control. So, it's to these people that Jesus says this Matthew chapter 15. Check this out, verse 1. Then Jesus was approached by Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem who asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. In other words, they, they look at Jesus and say, look, you're carrying yourself about like you're some holy dude. You're some holy man. People even call you rabbi, good teacher. But you don't even stop your disciples from breaking the rules that you know we have regarding washing your hands. And then Jesus looks right back at them and he calls them a bunch of hypocrites. You'll see this later. And he says, look, you're all about the rules, but you miss the heart of God. And he quotes the words of God in the Old Testament, and he says this in verse 8. Check this out. He says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is what? Far from me. In other words, Jesus is saying, Hey, don't you understand? Don't you understand? God doesn't care about how well you can manage your behavior. God is ultimately concerned about what is in your heart. A few verses later, we find the disciples were watching this confrontation go down, and they had their own questions of their own, and we find Jesus explaining everything that he just said to his disciples. And look what he says in verse 17 and 18. He says this, Don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? And, and some of you are like, well, that's basic science. We all grew that up. That's how, that's how food goes in, poop goes out. Food goes in, right? I mean, we all know that. That's how it works. So we had a kid, I had a kid. I put food in his mouth. It went in his tummy, and then it went out. That's how, Jesus, you're not a wise man. You're just stating fact. Well, listen to what Jesus says. But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And this defiles a person. What I love about what Jesus says is that 
He tells us it's what's in our hearts that matters. And he says it in a way that is just so clear. And if we take it at its face value and we wrestle with it, it's actually quite powerful and quite convicting. Because, listen, if it's not how good our responses or behavioral management strategies are, and it's about what's in our hearts, then it changes everything. It changes everything. You see, I may think I have reasonable control over my behavior, and you may feel like you know how to manage your actions. Still, the truth is that God doesn't measure me primarily by my ability to follow what I consider to be a set of behavioral standards that make me a good person. God measures me by my heart. And here's the truth. Some of us have really, really good behavior management strategies, but our hearts are a mess. The stuff that slips through sometimes that, where did that come from stuff? And that, I can't believe I just said that. I can't believe I just did that stuff. That junk is a window into your heart, a window into my heart. And specifically in this passage of Scripture, Jesus teaches us that our unguarded words are literally stethoscopes to our heart, or as I'm more familiar with, angiograms into your heart. So if you want to know what's deep in a person's heart, listen to those unguarded words. When we say things like, I don't know where that came from, Jesus says, I do. <laughs> Your heart. When we say, oh no, I don't usually say things like that. That's not like me. I don't usually do things like that. <laughs> Jesus says, I know. You've built response management strategies. You've learned to watch your mouth. You've learned to watch what you do. But it's in there. And Jesus says, you're missing it. It's not about your behavior man management. It's about getting rid of the junk that's in your heart. If your heart is clean, you won't need a strategy for managing your responses and behaviors. That's the point. Don't you see it? Like, does that, does that make sense to you? It's not about building better strategies to handle and manage your words and actions. Instead, it's about getting rid of the junk in our hearts that keeps slipping through. Now, I, I, at this point, like, some people are like, oh, what about James, Phil? What about James? James says, you know, you have faith and no works, and I have faith and works. <laughs> Look at me, right? And like, don't, 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 don't actions matter, Phil? Well, first of all, let me clear this up. I didn't say anything. I'm just reading the scripture, okay? Jesus did. Second, well, that'd be four, here, two. Second, actions do matter because, and here's the point. Actions do matter because they exist to reveal something deeper. Like your actions matter because they point to something deeper. And that's really what James was trying to say when he said, you need to have action that follows your faith because he's assuming that your faith is real. And if you don't have those actions, that's why he's calling people action. But actions exist because they reveal something deeper. This is why Jesus said this in verse 19 to 20. The same passage we're in. Look at this. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, 
false testimony, slander. These are the things that defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile a person. Listen, it's not about what comes out, how we respond to the everyday realities of our life. It's actually about what's inside. And I get it because I want to push back and I want to say, Jesus, those thoughts don't come from my heart. You know, my heart loves you, Jesus. They don't come from my heart. They come from my mind. Like we just try to like separate it and, and we try to figure out a way to separate it. And, and here's, what, here's what I think Jesus would say. He would say, I, I know. <laughs> when you have evil thoughts, it's because your heart. There's something messed up in there. And we'd like to say we need a better way to manage our thoughts, a better way to manage our responses, a better way to manage our behaviors. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. What you need, what you need is a clean heart. Because there's sin in your heart. And you need a clean heart. And we push back and be like, ah, I don't have any sin in my heart, Jesus. My whole life, my mom has been telling me, you're such a good boy. You're such a good boy. Oh, you're such a good boy. And Jesus says, well, your mama is wrong. <laughs> You've been pretty good at your behavior management strategies, but there is sin, S-I-N, in your heart. So if your mind is filled with sinful thoughts, that you hold back with your response management strategies. Listen, you have a heart problem. And Jesus says, out of the heart comes evil thoughts. This is what he says. Adultery, it starts in our hearts with lust. Murder starts in our hearts with anger. Stealing starts in our hearts with greed. Slander starts in our hearts with envy. And we tell ourselves, we need to watch our mouths, we need to watch what we say. And Jesus says, no, you need to guard your heart because those words that slipped out, that thing that you said wasn't you, that stuff is a reflection of something that is going on deeper inside of your and my heart. Now, there's a man by the name of Solomon. Solomon, he's, um, Solomon is Nate Erickson's son. But if you go further back, uh, there's a guy named Solomon who was known as the wisest man in the world. And we know from recorded history outside of what is written in Scripture that people came from all over the world to listen to him teach on things about like money, on business, on family, on relationships, on morality, and on faith. And so he knew a whole lot about a whole lot. <laughs> and here's what he said about the heart. And this is our if you want, want to say our memory verse for the week. It's this, Proverbs 4, verse 23. Above all else, that means above everything, like no matter what else you get right, you've got to get this one right. Got to get this one right. Above all else, he says, guard your heart. Not your tongue, but your heart, for everything you do, flows from it. <laughs> and that's huge. He says that if this is the only thing you get from me, get this, guard 
your heart, for your heart determines the direction of your life, is another way to put it. Here's the truth. You live from your heart. You love from your heart. You parent from your heart. You manage your money from your heart. You conduct your relationships from your heart. Your words, your actions, your attitudes all flow out of your heart. So, guard your heart. Guard your heart. So that's what we're going to be talking about for the next month. This is the intro to the series, right? (laughs) The, The hope is that I've given you enough to make you say, okay, I think maybe there's a problem. And over the next several months, we'll talk about getting rid of the junk that leaks through our best efforts to manage our behaviors and responses, because if our heart is clean, we won't need good strategies. And the bottom line is that God isn't impressed by our management strategies. He looks at what is in our hearts. The question is, do you buy that? Like, I'm preaching it, but do you buy that? Because that will make the difference as we take this journey together. And if you take it with me, I promise you it won't be easy. Confronting these issues of our hearts won't be easy, and most of us are going to push back. I push back as I'm writing the, the, the thing, and I'll go from saying not really something nice to Leona and walking into my office and looking at a passage about your heart, and I'm like, oh my goodness gracious. Like, like I'm guilty too. Like, this is something we all need to work on. You know, in preparing this message, I, I look back, as I usually do, I, I've been in pastoral ministry for almost 20 years now, and I've preached a lot of messages, done a lot of Bible study, and um, I, I accumulate messages and n- notes. Um, Gary knows this because I've shown him how I study. I'll, I'll take a document, it's all my notes, and I'll study, and I'll have all my notes, and, the, and then I write my message. And, and a lot of times, I'll just do a quick search of my notes and just to see, like, what have I said in the past? What have I studied about this passage in the past? Literally, there's, there's not much that I, over the 20 years, I haven't taught on or spoken on. And um, just out of curiosity, I was taking a look at this. I did a quick search on the you know, Matthew passage that I were referring to today. And there is something I wrote as a possible illustration for a message uh, back in 2015. And I want to share this with you because... If anything I said didn't motivate you to at least consider this journey, maybe this will. Maybe this will. I'm, I'm going to sit because I don't know, know what will happen. I, I might cry. I might not. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I think at least it would be helpful for me to read this for some of you so that you could maybe find some motivation to lean into this journey of examining our hearts through the filter of Scripture over the next several weeks. And here's what I wrote without further ado. I built it up too much. Just read it, Phil. Okay. Here's literally what I wrote. (laughs) 
Uh, allow me to prophesy for a moment. I'm not much of a prophet, but I think I've got this one. It's 2015, remember. Someday I'm going to be talking with the cardiologist, and he's going to tell me, Phil, you have a heart problem. But we might be able to head it off without major surgery. Now you're going to have to correct your diet and get more exercise. And if you stick with this diet and exercise, I think we can fix your heart. And I'm going to say, as I did two years ago in, in a meeting with the cardiologist that I had, <laughs> I can't do that. If I diet, I'll be hungry. <laughs> I love food. And if I exercise, I'll get tired. Who wants to do that? So, can you just fix my heart? And my doctor will say, listen, Phil, this is how we fix your heart. And I'm going to push back. If you fix my heart first, then I'll exercise. But right now, I'll get all tired and sweaty. And if you fix my heart first, I'll diet. And I will have one of those beach bodies again. So please, just fix my heart. And this is a conversation we have with God a lot. Dear God, fix my heart, please. And God says, okay, here's a diet for you. You're going to have to change what you eat. No, God, that would make me hungry. Just give me a clean heart. And God says, I'm trying. Here's your diet. That was 2015. I think you get the illustration, right? And so this is my invitation for you to join me as we look at the Scripture and talk about some of the diet and exercise, if we can call that, that God uses to purify our hearts over the next few weeks. And here's what I'm sure of. If you allow God to work in you His way, You'll never regret it, and you'll never be the same.